Warning, Caffeinated Conquest features adult nerds using adult language. Seriously, don't say we didn't warn you. The doors were locked hours ago. Your colleagues were probably home with their wives right now, eating a home-cooked meal, playing with their children. But you were with your own true loves, the antiquities in the archaeological department of the Montreal Museum of Natural History. And tonight, you've got a new hot date. A lithograph from the ruins of an ancient city deep in Africa. It came in late today and seemed like such a shame to wait until tomorrow. Thus, another night burning the midnight oil. Oh, I saw you standing there. Oh, so, so sultry looking at me. Probably shouldn't keep that. <laughs> oh, it's good. So what would you like to do? Well, I'm going to head in, into the archives of the museum. Okay. To cross-reference anything that these... Uh, lithographs may uh, relate to. Alright, so you sort of dig through the archives. Uh, there's not really any kind of match that you can find. These are from some relatively new ruins. Uh, the chisel work and stuff uh, probably is reminiscent of some kind of maybe pre-Babylonian society. Uh, carved with some pretty rudimentary tools. Uh, the lithograph obviously depicts these very primitive people making offerings of blood to these uh, these darkly colored deific figures. Uh, there is one drawing uh, is especially detailed and quite larger than the others. A report that accompanied the lithograph says that the original showed signs of severe water damage and was apparently submerged for quite some time. Good. Could this be the, perhaps, uh, the lost city? Atlantis? <laughs> well, it's far from the Mediterranean Sea. So what do you do? I check the the region where these runes have been found just to uh, get an idea of where the the uh, the cartography is sure like. absolutely uh, so you it's pretty easy I mean there's detailed reports about where they found it the dig is still going on you're sort of pouring through these, uh, like, not, not, not quite dusty ledgers, but these stacks of paperwork that have been coming in recently, because this is kind of a big deal. Uh, so you're just going through these papers, these papers, these papers. Probably be pretty boring to most people. Uh, but, I mean, you're just loving every minute of this. It's just, this is your calling. This is what you do in life. Eventually, if something happens that you don't expect, the end. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, pack it up. That was fun. 
Uh, you hear a female voice sort of like call into the room. Uh, Excusez-moi, may, may I enter? Uh-huh. Uh, you may. Uh, as you turn, you sort of see uh, this woman's head sort of peeking in through the door. She She's wearing these very thick sunglasses, which is strange. It's a little dark in here. There's just a couple of candles everywhere. But she's got these... Uh, Sunglasses don't exist in the 1850s, do they? They do, they're just not very widespread. Okay, good enough. So she's got these very thick uh, sunglasses on, these very very long raven hair, and what appears to be a very pale skin in the the soft candlelight around the room. Uh, From where her head is peeking in through the doorway, uh, she appears to be very tall. She sort of, uh, as you sort of invite her in, she just sort of, uh, she moves very elegantly, very gracefully, and the shadows around her just seem to, like, peel back ever so slightly. Hmm. He uh, says, uh, thank you for inviting me in. I, I was not sure you'd be so hospitable. Well, I can only assume if you're here, you're either just as curious about some recent discoveries as I am or the museum curator which if that's the case I have no right to uh, deny entry I, I do uh, fancy myself a bit of an antiquarian we uh, so I've heard that you found this wonderful lithograph could you show it to me please well I suppose I may uh, forgive me where are my manners uh, my name is, uh, Beatrice. My name is Byrix. Oh, uh, y- yes, sir, I-, I know this already. Your findings are quite well-renowned among my certain circle. <laughs> Fancy yourself an archaeologist yourself? <laughs> I know a few things. I've had quite a while to compile my records. <laughs> well, there's not... <laughs> There's not a lot of things more alluring than the exploration of places that haven't been touched for a very long time. I'm so glad you agree. There's nothing quite like history. The very tapestry of the world laid out before you. So tell me, what what do you know of this? And she sort of like peers over your shoulder with very keen interest, although her her uh, expression is somewhat inscrutable. What do I know about this? I, I don't know much about archaeology, so we're just gonna fucking bullshit our way through this. Well, you see, archaeology, archaeology, archaeology. Indiana Jones, Kali Ma, Temple of Doom. <laughs> 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 Temple traps, treasure, <laughs> boulder. Ah, 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 we, we, last crusade, Holy Grail, Sean Connery. Ah, uh, indigenous tribe, uh, pitfall, <laughs> <laughs> falling door. Blowpipe. 
Oh my god. You, you, you are very well versed in archaeology, <laughs> This is what happens when you make a character smarter than you are. No offense, but I'm, I'm currently role-playing one that is much smarter than me. I'm sure Byrx knows more about archaeology than I do. Yeah. I've uh, explored a few ruins or two. Really? Which ones? You must tell me. <laughs> a few ziggurats up in where the old Mesopotamia areas are. Ah, oh, yes, the Mesopotamia areas. Like, <laughs> the eastern one and the western one. Oh, well, we, we snuck at this. Uh... I just don't know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> I don't. In the Great White Temple. She says, "Never, never have I seen one so, uh, so passionate about the craft as I am, so keen on history as I am. You are perfect." I don't believe myself to be <coughs> perfect. None are besides the creator, but you are perfect for what I need. And I assume you're kind of peering down at the book right now. That's when you get this sort of like iron grip around your neck. And she just sort of like lunges at you. Her considerable height, she just like snaps down on you like a cobra. You, you feel her fangs break the side of your neck. And you are like basically lifted off your chair by this very, very tall woman. And you're, you're almost like this juice packet in her hands. You can feel your veins shrivel as she just draws from you more and more and more. And eventually your hands go limp, your legs go limp. You, they feel as if they're miles away, as if your ability to move them is completely gone. And the next thing you know, the world has faded to black. There's a bump in a road that awakens you. Uh, you can hear the clattering of horse hooves. You are obviously in some sort of horse-drawn carriage because it's the 1850s. Uh, wherever you are, it's very dark. And the air is very stuck. <coughs> you can feel this heavy weight upon your, your chest. But it's... You don't have dark vision, do you? Yeah. Dark sight, okay. You feel this like heavy weight on your chest just sort of like holding you to the ground. Every once in a while you can see this tiniest crack of light peek through what appears to be wooden planks just before you're like maybe a foot away from your face. Can I move my arms? Uh, you can, but it does feel like there's some weight on it. I'm gonna try to... Uh, 
get myself free. Okay, well, you're not exactly, like, shackled or anything. As you sort of, like, get your bearings and you, you test the weight of this thing that's upon you, uh, you realize it has a very human shape. And apparently there's this person that's just laying on top of you, and he begins to stir. And he just looks around and... Uh, begins to panic, and as he's panicking in this very, very small space, he's like digging knees and elbows into your sides, and he, he just starts, and roll, self-control, you have one die. I got half the number. So you know what happens. Uh, you feel your senses leave you. You feel his heartbeat on your chest. You hear the pu- blood pulsing through his veins. And it begins to make you hunger. You tear your fangs into the side of his neck. And he just goes limp on top of you. And you just completely drain him away. And there you sit, moist in his blood unfortunately returned to lucidity in a very small box with a very dead individual on top of you. Huh? I'm assuming that there's something in my head snapped and I disassociate my myself from the action of what just happened. Eventually, the clattering of the hooves stop. Uh, what little air that you can suck through the wooden planks smells like ash and soil. There's a shifting beneath you, as if the box is being moved. And then sudden weight as you sort of drop to the ground and you can hear like a dragging noise as this crate that you're in continues to move. I'm going to start banging on the top or right in front of me as this dead dude. Uh, Crate stops moving. And you can hear snapping wood as the crate, the lid of the crate is just basically ripped off and these bent nails go flying. And you can see Beatrice standing there. Her, she's no longer wearing her sunglasses and her eyes are these absolutely pure black orbs. And her pale white skin seems to radiate blue in the moonlight. And she looks down at you, hauntingly comforting, almost the way a mother would. She says to you, Ah, you are awake, and you have finished dinner. And she just reverently lifts this dead man out of this crate, and sets him off to the side. She says, Another thing I shall have to beg forgiveness for, as she invokes a crucifix, and says, Deo Padonamo, come, my child, offers you a hand. I put one hand on the edge of the coffin, lift myself up, and 
wearily place my hand in the other hand in hers. She helps lift you up, and as she raises you to your feet, uh, you feel a bit disoriented. Because you've shot up at least a good foot or so. And you realize that you were in a basically the Montreal Cemetery. What? Who? Where? Why? You are home, my child. Come. I have much to teach you. You wish to know of history. What's greater joy is there of discovering history than to watch it unfold before your eyes. I have made you like I am. I have made you a vampire. I'm sorry. I think I'm still a little weary about the uh, things that have been going on. Uh, the vampire. We, oui. behold, your uh, your feeding should tell you everything you wish to know. Your natural instincts have taken over already. We must. Uh, I, I I must instruct you, of course. Uh, forgive me. It is typically my way to embrace only those who follow the way of Christ. But uh, I will have much time to teach you that. For now, there are other things that you must see. She'll sort of like take you by the hand again like a mother and just begin like walking you into these tunnels. Just <laughs> just like trying to keep myself from freaking out about uh well everything. Yeah, yeah, this kind of hits you like a ton of bricks. What is, uh, what is Byrick feeling right now? He's probably trying to, uh, convince himself he didn't actually, uh, kill that man that, uh, he, he just witnessed it happen. It's quite possible. I mean, maybe he was dead the whole time. Maybe just a lack of air got to his head. Beatrice leads you underground to what you expect to be a small tomb. But after several twists and turns, you emerge into a massive 30-foot-high chamber. At its apex is a mural of glass simultaneously stunning and horrific, depicting massive, horrible monsters bursting up from the earth and devouring lesser creatures. Beneath it lies a throne that seems to be made of human bone. There is much for you to learn. Much for me to teach you, and much for you to see. Does it not exhilarate you, what lies before you? How? How has this place never been found before? We go to great lengths to keep it secret. Rejoice, for you are one of the anointed, the lucky few who gets to see the true grandeur of this world. Now I can explain to you the lithograph. Oh, we will have many conversations. Yes, the, the lithograph, that's right. Come, come, I have a surprise for you. And she sort of leads you on through one of the excesses from this massive chamber. 
and you approach what appears to be a, a, a chapel, uh, almost, oh, oh, what's the word, almost blasphemous, as it, it appears to be uh, almost Catholic in design, but clearly isn't. And all along the walls of this chapel, chapel there are these small different altars, these little uh, cloisters, where you see certain people just praying and reciting these profane affirmations. And at the, basically, where the crucifix would be, there's a very large statue of a man. And immediately you recognize this man as the very same one that was detailed in the lithograph. That man, who who is he? He is Cain, the first of us. The the third. Yes. How did you know? Ah, you study the Bible as well. Like I said, I've been to ancient Mesopotamia. Uh, It's hard to not see a lot of the religious symbolism there. Yes, he is the very same. Drink him in. Take his actions and think of them. God cursed Cain so that he may repent. It is our way to do so as well. I I will teach you all of the path of redemption. Do not worry. Come, I haven't shown you the best part yet. Almost a cold stare. I'll follow her. Yeah, yeah. You're, as a matter of fact, you're. The more you're kind of adjusting to this, you feel your emotions are starting to become not the way they were. A little, uh, starting to regard things a little bit alien. Starting to think maybe a little bit differently, slowly, but perhaps noticeably. She leads you through these very ornate brass gates. And on the other side is the biggest library you've ever seen in your life. Multiple levels, just wall-to-wall books. Hmm? The second largest library I've seen. Is that a reference to the Library of Alexandria? No. I would be surprised if you saw it. <laughs> the, the library and the mansion. The library in which mansion? The mansion that need that is as big as it needs to be. Oh yeah, gotcha. I'm sorry, I was completely lost. And you just see that there are walled books. What do you think? Glorious, is it not? This here is the history of our people, the Canaanites, the vampires. And you will have all eternity to spend amongst it, to cattle. Watch it unfold. Cataloging. I've always, uh, at least I think I would always, uh, preferred a first hand experience, but I can see, uh, books have a, uh, 
a wealth of knowledge. Come, let me introduce you to our scribe. She sort of like walks you over to uh, this immaculately beautiful red-headed woman with these piercing green eyes and her skin is utterly perfect. And she is scribing in what looks to you red ink on leather. Uh, Beatrice says to you, This is Molly, our scribe. Uh, for now you will apprentice under her. Do well, and we will make you truly part of us. One of the Sabbats. The Sabbat. Okay. Yes. Much to be expected. It's understandable. I was much the same when I first met. And as she's talking, you sort of look over at Molly, and Molly is literally, like, peeling away a layer of flesh. And she lays it on the table. Begins to write on it. And she says, Believe me, I will teach you everything I can. There is much to know. And Molly sort of looks over at you and begins to tear away the top layer of skin at the top of her chest and she hands it to you. With reluctance, I'll I'll take it and just kind of try to figure out what she wants me to do with this. Eventually, over the next (laughs) several nights, several months, you learn uh, you learn of what it means to be the Sabbat, the sword of Cain, the, the true vampires, unlike the hated Camarilla that tries to shirk from their monstrous nature. You uh, learn of what you can do, of the fantastical power of Mythoseria, of your dominion over the shadows. They're apparently not too keen on manipulating the minds of others, but that's okay. The Sabbat seems to prefer more direct methods anyway. Uh, you learn about the litany of blood, the record of the Sabbat's heroes, of those who were embraced of their final death. Apparently that is the vampiric term for what it means to be returned from the grave that you've defined. Uh, Beatrice tries to just hammer religious thought into your head and how important it is to... Uh, how important that the sin of being a vampire must be balanced out. How does that fly with you? I, 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 probably as time goes on, it's more of just like, uh-huh. Eventually you start to grow restless. Wandering the world, seeing the world, that's not something you've been able to do in some time. In fact, you're not even sure when the last time you left the Alexandria was. You have, let alone the sun, you haven't seen the moon in what could be years. You begin to become frustrated with the Sabbat. They grow ever more warlike. You've heard of this despicable practice called a mass embrace, where people are just fed the drained of blood, fed the barest amounts, and claw over one another in a mass grave to break the surface, only to be used as cannon fodder. 
It begins to put a distaste in your mouth. It begins to smack of weakness, doesn't it? It reminds me of those ruined plunderers whose only powers was those of numbers rather than those of wits. Pretty tough to respect somebody who uh, can't even use their brains and must just mindlessly throw wave after wave at somebody, isn't it? It's truly disgusting. Filth. Your conviction has been hardened. You've been over... Uh, you've been over, able to overtake some of the, the lesser Sabbat. The ones they thought they were hot shit, but they let their guard down and you showed them what true strength was. Eventually, your generation was even higher than your sires, closer to Cain, as they explained it to you. Perhaps if the third was so great, so powerful, as he does seem to be revered with his own chapel, perhaps this is the way. After all, what is the relationship between a hunter and prey, then those who are smart enough to survive and those who are dumb enough to get caught. You grow tired of the Sabbat. You grow tired of merely cattle. One night in 1942, you decide to steal away with yourself into the night. The Wanderlust has overtaken me. Yes. You go back to your old ways, you begin to travel the world as you used to, as best you can now. There are added complications that you never knew were there. Lupines that stalk the woods, and other gangrel that's, which are also kindred. Some of the most brutal ones from your days in the Sabbat. Some of them are relatively easy to deal with, other ones are a little better than animals. Eventually, you find yourself amongst the glittering lights of L.A. My, how times have changed since you were in that tiny library underneath the streets of Montreal. Oh, yeah. Fucking huge. But the world gets a lot smaller when you're cooped up for damn near a century. It was not. No, it didn't feel like that long at all. Without being able to tell time. Yeah, that would be a shock. Just seeing the world after all, about 90 years change. Yeah. After 90 years of nothing but books, then you, you come out and it's like, what is this? How, how do you feel as you're sort of traveling the world? Maybe that drives you, spurs you on. I'm probably intrigued by these horseless carriages. Internal combustion. That there had been two great wars, or there's a great war and another one raging. Imagine the entire world coming together like that. And have you seen the way the women dress? <laughs> Harlots, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a valid point, by the way. No shit. <laughs> <coughs> So, tell me what it's like as you as you enter L.A. 
you've been on your own for well, a couple of months now. You no longer have Beatrice looking out for you. How's it been? Just sort of relying on yourself. Well, I'm assuming I had to adopt a new fashion sense. These are very different. The old garb uh, seems to have fallen out of style. That style is never my forte anyway. And... <clears throat> Electricity is now everywhere. City lights are... Are not lanterns. <laughs> the old trusty six shooter has been replaced by something that is far more superior. The seven shooter. But uh, how, how do you actually enter the city of Los Angeles? From the south. <laughs> From the west. Like Poseidon, he rose from the sea. If I was a little somber, that would make sense. No, I wouldn't. Climbed underneath a bus or like a long. What are they called? Like a Greyhound bus? Okay, yeah, I gotcha. Until it reached about one stop just outside of uh, LA. I didn't know where it was going. It was just, I was just going. How so, far can this killer just take me? So one day you find yourself in the city of Los Angeles. Um. And you begin to grow hungry. So, you, as you often do, decide to grab a bite from one of the local passers-by. You don't kill them, you've quite better learned to restrain yourself since that first fateful night in the crate. <laughs> well, that wasn't me. Oh, yes. That was a monster. And suddenly... Uh, as you're in this sort of darkened alley, uh, feeding on one of the passerby, there's a very smug voice over your shoulder. Well, uh, what have we here? A new arrival feeding outside of the allotted grounds. <laughs> I'll turn to the voice. You see a very uh, dapper-looking individual, quite pampered. Uh, perhaps a hint of Spanish blood in him. Hmm. Oh, does he have a white top head? No. God damn it. So as you sort of turn around, he <coughs> sort of looks you, you over at your full height, but he sort of 
his eyes like flash with holy shit and then for a moment he sort of like covers it up with smug attitude and he's like you're coming with me to see Don Sebastian <laughs> not to see you I believe you're mistaken I'm not going anywhere <coughs> not with someone of your stature <laughs> I'm guessing you haven't reported to the prince of this city. This is an issue. Plus, feeding outside the allotted grounds is... It puts us at risk of exposure. Hmm, I, I, only, I can only wonder what punishment Don Sebastian would levy at one such as you. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you going to uh, just keep spewing your... Your... Uh, Spanish propaganda. <laughs> Just keep spewing your your tongue at me, or are you actually gonna do something? So I'm gonna make you the same offer I made, Xavier. You have complete narrative control. Tell me how this encounter goes, and keep in mind that this is the part where your two friends show up. Yeah, that's right. Let's see, how does this go? Well, <clears throat> what is he exactly? What, 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 what clan is he? Uh, I will tell you that he is Toreador. However, I'm not sure how your character would know that. Well, I wouldn't know. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. No, so just like, yes, because if he was a gang girl, he might change form if he... No, no, he's a... Yeah, it, his thing changes how he would act. So he starts by sparkling at me. <laughs> Does it? Do I decide at everything he does? Like his weaponry? His... Sure, absolutely. Well, shit. I mean, he's probably coming at you with fisticuffs or something. I mean, this guy probably wasn't prepared for a fight. Not he's right. just bloated on power and looking for some schmuck to abuse. He chose you. He chose wrong, brother. Wrong character, first of all. What is the right character for going against Odd Job? No, he's making a reference to Speedwagon. Oh. He was referencing Zeppeli. Oh. Anyway. You can't use Hollow <laughs> Especially eggs. Grenades and ham. Okay. So I would probably drop to a kind of a one of 
arms down pose. Come at me, bro. Yeah, but ye old, like, the old style. Ye old come at me, bro? I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> well, this is like that. This is modern. My arms are a little lower than that. Gotcha. Come at me, bro. Bro, Rolling up your <laughs> <laughs> Pulling my gloves a little tighter. Look like this. <laughs> no. No. I, I imagine you're like that, that super manly meme, but you're, you know, blue. <laughs> and lanky. Yeah. So totally the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> like, you like, just like if you stretched out Papa Smurf. I'm not like fucking. Anyway, that's. <laughs> we're getting too far off. As I wait for him to uh, take the first strike at me. Because, quite frankly, that's how a lot of uh, the weaklings of the Sabatoes fought. Once, once the first strike gets uh, thrown, I'm I maneuver around him to to grab his arm, pull it, pull him towards me, and kick out his knee. And it, it shatters with a satisfying crunch. See, it's weird having to choreograph the enemy's movement, too. I've had to do it. You don't have, you don't have to go blow for blow. Just, you can tell me how the fight ends when your buddies show up. And then... Well, they show up mid, midway right. through. You, you don't have to go blow for blow. I, I punch him, and then he I, I kick his knee, and then he hits me with an uppercut that grazes me. You don't have to go into that much detail. You can do as much or as little as you want. All right, yeah. But we, it, what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be a turn-by-turn synopsis. Yeah, we, we trade blows, and eventually he... I grasp his face, because I can do that, because my hands are... You're one of those guys that can just, like, palm a basketball. I could palm a fucking watermelon. <laughs> and just palm his face and toss him into the far, the far, far wall. Yeah, you toss him into the wall, then what happens? And that's when, uh... Two others enter the fray. Hmm. Too unlike myself or the assailant. And uh, how, how do these two look? Basically, like Van Helsing wannabes. They got the long tan trench coat. Maybe no. they got like a hammer in one hand, a stake in the other. Probably that. Ah. Uh... I assume that the the male one has a has a waistcoat and some dress pants socks. Okay. And like maybe the first couple of his dress shirts unbuttoned. And then. 
and his sister. Uh, I don't know what she would be wearing. Probably something that wouldn't impede her movement. I don't know if women wore pants in the 40s. Hmm, not a lot of women. It's up to top. Okay, Freud. Yeah, let's say she's wearing something similar. Okay. And, you know, they have the the steak and the hammer. Not the hammer. What what is uh Byrick's sort of reaction when he sees them? Well, most of the time mortals don't <clears throat> don't garner much attention from him. So he looks over them for a second and and shifts his attention back to uh, the the Spaniard. Okay. And of course, uh, the Spaniard sees the mortals as a uh, quick source of uh, refreshment to uh, heal any wounds. Of course. So he quickly begins to make a uh, break for them grasping at uh, let's go with uh, let's not make this misogynistic let's say he attacks uh, Isaac okay but of course this was the uh, this was his down downfall for he left himself open your big meaty fist not me just Pan like. Pan like, gotcha. Pan. If you're gonna make me read area, I'm no, no, gonna no, make no. it weird. No, no, go ahead. And let's have fun with this. He or I grasp him by the shoulder and head and quickly sink my fangs into him. Cool. Draining him of everything. So you pretty much drain him completely. Uh, unfortunately, this whelp doesn't really give you much of anything in terms of generation. A weakling as you knew he was. It was never meant to be. So as you kind of uh, drain him and shrivel him like a 1940s Capri Sun packet... The, the hunters sort of look on you, and look at you in horror, and take a defensive posture. That the stake raised defensively before him, and the hammer behind his head. Hmm. And I just, I dropped the assailant. Did we, did he ever give him a name? Or did he ever have a name? Yeah, he had a name. He just never asked it. I don't think your character would have. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. I'm sorry, sir. How rude of me. Can we, uh, we should introduce ourselves before mortal combat. Well, I mean, you know his name. Oh, god damn it. Shut the fuck up. And... <laughs> I, I just drop him, turn my back to them, and continue my way. They, they seem a bit puzzled, and they... They, like, move to try and attack you, and then they go back... And they like, and then they're back, and then they go, and then they're back, 
And you, you just kind of like regard them quizzically over your shoulder and slink off into the night. Eventually, uh, you you've kind of noticed them. They like to hang around you over the past couple nights. You, you can see them sort of like peeking through the window of the haven you've made in the library on the outskirts of town. Don't actually do anything. Just kind of watch. Start to wonder what their deal is. Start to wonder if maybe they're waiting for you to drop your guard. But that wouldn't be your way. That would be the way of the imbecile, the weak. And, but they haven't made any moves, they just kind of watch. One day they make another blunder. They take on another pack of vampires, perhaps some more, some of those howling sabbat shovelheads that you became all too acquainted with during your time. And those uh, pack members, being what little worth they were, end up in shreds in the end of your claws. And they regard you quizzically again. And you slink off into the darkness. Eventually, they knock on the door to the library in the middle of the night. Damn, I don't have... I don't have the force. I can't just open the door from the distance. Or can I? Can my shadow do that? Maybe. I'm not entirely certain. I'm not entirely up to date on what your disciplines can do, although I think it'd be really funny for you to admit this area the door open. Alright, I'll do and, that. And then they walk in, they, you illusion it open, and they walk into the door. <laughs> oh no, isn't that chemistry? Mm, sure. Let's find out what you can do, because I can edit this anyway. <laughs> Told you I was going to beat Xavier's record. Holy shit, you done. No. no. It's fine. Now, did you stop it? Yeah. Did you, not, did you really? Yeah. You stopped it, didn't you? No. You you can tell us. You can tell us. It, we still, only make fun of you. It's still going. Uh, no, damn it. <coughs> what? I beat him. Yes. It's okay. You'll um, go down as the longest wolf. Yes. It's never a bad thing to be known as the longest one. Okay. You can cleave truth from lies. Uh, your knowledge of <clears throat> magic isn't just theoretical. Strangely colorized, capable of detecting the arcane energies of the Fae. Uh, capable of seeing images of events and emotions passed by touching an object or area. And you can inscribe a word in an object or location or a person. The word disorients and befuddles anyone that sees it. Meaning that even if an intruder can penetrate a weirdling security and steal an object of value, he's unlikely to be able to find his way to the exit. And then with uh, Tenebration... I think I just, I think like two is I can manipulate small objects. Okay. So you actually have to get up and open the door. <coughs> like a fucking farmer. So what do you do? Well, no one's ever actually just knocked on the door, either via gumption or or foolishness. So I'll go. I'll go open the door. 
right? So you open the door. Are you going to do the standard KSE thing where you're like exceedingly polite, or well, how, how do you what do, what do you do as you see these two these two hunters that have been following you around? They look almost as bewildered as you do when you open the door. I guess I should be exceedingly polite. I'll invite them in. Um, they'll sort of like just timidly like look up at you because you're, you're you're this towering statuesque thing, and they will walk in, sort of like. Isaac's got his hat in his hands. Uh, does the female have a name? Cassie. Isaac and Cassie. Cassie just like wringing her hands together and looking at Isaac like, you heard about this? And he's like, not really, but they sort of walk in and Isaac looks up and he goes, uh, hello, sir. Greetings. I, 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 Isaac, how, how are you? And he will very awkwardly stick out his hand. I'll shake his hand. Your, your hand envelops <laughs> his and just, Now, what do you want? You're, uh... You're not like the others that we've met. <laughs> Haven't heard that one before. Why, why do you... Why do you kill your own kind? <laughs> because they disgust me. But... Aren't they like you? No. Not at all. And I'd appreciate it if you didn't compare me to them again. I did not mean to offend, sir. I, I apologize. And he sort of like shrinks into the corner again. Did they all just because we stay up the wrong way? So we have no bedtime. We can play Monopoly. We we always win Monopoly. I will ask again. What do you? And uh, Isaac kind of tripped over his words for a while, and finally Cassie just blurts out, Would you like to help us? Excuse me? I mean, you're obviously a lot better at this than we are, and you, well, if you'll excuse me being so blunt, you do seem to enjoy ridding this city of vampires, and, well, we could use your help. Eh, maybe we're crazy, but asking you just seemed like the intelligent thing to do. <laughs> oh my, you are crazy. And intelligent. They, 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 they sort of morph from this face of, like, shocked horror, oh god, what have we done to a Confused, befuddled smile, and they, they, their expression lands somewhere in between. <clears throat> Disposing of the weaklings is always, quite frankly, fun. Well, and Isaac kind of looks at Cassie. They have fun. Shut up! Nobody's talking. You're gonna be like the equals <laughs> Yo, Black Ranger. Or Lightish Blue Ranger. <laughs> if you. <laughs> now. 
if I were to agree to this, why... Why would this benefit you as well? It seems like our chances of dying horrifically in a matter of seconds greatly de-escalate when you're around. Self-preservation, huh? Can't blame you for that. <laughs>